Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from SlyFlourish.com and Twitter.com slash SlyFlourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. This is a weekly show shot 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Times on Sundays in which I go through steps for Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running Eberron the second morning. This show, uh, like all of the Sly Flourish Enterprise, is brought to you by the Sly Flourish patrons. Uh, if you want to help support shows like this and the website, you can go to patreon.com slash slyflourish, and there you can uh, help support the show and uh, pay for all of the infrastructure that it takes to keep everything going. Website, bandwidth costs, uh, bandwidth costs for uh, uh, audio and video and stuff like that, and uh, equipment and other things like that. So thank you to the Sly Flourish patrons for helping to support stuff like that. Boy, today I feel exactly like the uh, orchestra playing on the Titanic as it's sinking. Um, The world is on fire. Uh, America is on fire. And there's a lot of people out there, I presume, that are like me, where, like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I never really feel like I am where you should go to follow the news on things like that. So if you're looking for help and guidance from a guy who writes about how to prep D&D on how to deal with that, you've come to the wrong place. But what I can do is hopefully offer a small island of normality and a small island of uh, escape from what's going on these days between COVID and the riots and police brutality and all of the different topics uh, that are going on these days that are, you know, I think just driving us all bananas, certainly driving me bananas. So I'm doing everything I can to try to say, okay, let's uh, let me let me try to find the places that we can escape, and hopefully helping other people find a place where they can escape for a while uh, when we're not busy trying to help heal what is going on in the world. So, yeah, that's about all I'm going to say about that. Hey, John Four is here. Hello, Evil John is here. Hello, Evil John. So, uh, yeah, and and re- regardless, again, sort of, you know, hey, you know, the world's on fire and disease is sweeping through uh, our country and uh, we've got all kinds of problems, but I have a Kickstarter on Monday. So, you know, yeah, I hope everything is well too. Uh, And I did, I did think that I would spend a few minutes uh, before the show begins to uh, talk a little bit about this Kickstarter and show a little bit about what we're going to have going on tomorrow. So yeah, I think in 25 hours, uh, we are going to launch the Kickstarter for Fantastic Layers. Uh, Fantastic Layers is a book of boss battles and climactic encounters for your 5e D&D game. It is a uh, book that you, with uh, 10 to 20 layers, I would say hopefully and likely 20 layers uh, of all different level ranges, all, all, all ranges across the spectrum that you can, with, with encounters that you can take and drop right into your game. Uh, hopefully to help you do the heavy lift of making awesome boss battles. Hey, my mom is here. Hi, mom. Um, my friends and I all share Soviet memes on Sundays. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've seen Soviet memes. Um, I'm sure there are Soviet memes. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, I thought I would take just a few minutes, five minutes or so, to uh, talk to show uh, the preview. So this is the awesome cover uh, of our of our book. And uh, we, we kicked all sorts of stuff around. The, the cover art is by Jack Kaiser. Uh, layout is by Mark Radel. And, or uh, um, fonts and things like that are from Mark Radel. The, 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 cover, the cover 
Typography is Mark Radel. Uh, design is Mark Radel with a little bit of Scott Fitzgerald Gray. Scott Fitzgerald Gray did the internal design. Uh, Mark Radel did the internal graphics and uh, fonts and layouts and everything like that were also Scott Gray. So we are giving away as part of the Kickstarter, I, I don't, this is a 17 page preview, uh, a great big preview with two full layers that you can drop into your game right away. So one of the things that I love to do with the Kickstarters that I've run um, the E stands for Eric, Eric with a K. Uh, one of the things I love to do with Kickstarters like this is offer, offer a free product that is useful on its own. So fantastic locations, for example, I think offered two locations, one or two locations for free. Um, fantastic adventures. The first one offered a first level adventure, uh, called the Nightblade that you can download and run right as is. You can grab that in the basic rules for free and play it. Uh, the um, Fantastic Lairs Return, uh, uh, Ruins of the Grendel Root also offered a first level adventure for free. And with Fantastic Lairs, we're offering two layers for free. These are, you know, they've been f- through playtesting. They've been through design, development, art, editing, uh, they have full color maps, full color art, everything in them. So they are, we consider them to be a good solid $5 product on its own. And I would, I would think that each of the ones that I put out before are probably, if I had just made those, is a good solid $5 product that we are giving away for free. Uh, so you'll see that with this one. So uh, we jump right into the introduction, which talks about how we design uh, a lair. Uh, he's not your problem. So can't wait for the Kickstarter. Great. Uh, saw your tweet about the preview adventure on Drive RPG. People should take a look. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, we'll put this up on DriveThruRPG as well. So you can download this for free uh, straight from there. But you can also hit it at the URL that will be available on the Kickstarter and download it for free. Um, so we talk about, uh, as we do with a lot of these products, like how do you use it? Like what, is it, what, what, did, what was our thought when we made this thing? And how do we expect you to use the book? So and we give pretty specific uh, instructions. Then we also get into the layer design. Every layer has a background. Uh, uh, these, these are sort of the headings that you'll find in each layer. What's the background of the layer? How do you integrate this encounter? How do you approach the layer? What are some of the features of the layer, the areas of the layer, the creatures that you find in the layer? Uh, how to tweak the encounter difficulty because we know that nothing will ever fit right. We have a little section in here on tuning hit points and damage, which is probably the two biggest dials. And we've talked about this on this show a lot. The two biggest dials that you can turn in order to get the, um, in order to get the difficulty in an encounter where you want it when you're doing a fight like a boss fight. Uh, what treasure can you find in the lair? And then a section on expanding the lair. Uh, we also have a little header here for how to go ahead and make the lair your own. Uh, that's something that each, each lair, uh, you know, offers to how do you incorporate this into the rest of, of, the, of the lair. So the first lair we have is called Caves of the Cockatrice. Uh, Caves of the Cockatrice is a first level boss fight in which you face a... Um, Shadow-touched cockatrice, a, a, an unseely fey cockatrice. So uh, again, you'll see like the background. Wh- where did this place come from? The, most of it came from that there's a, a weird gate, uh, a gate to the to the realm of the of the unseely fey here, and the gate has gone wrong. And cockatrices have come here to hang out, and for generations they've been breeding close to the gate, and therefore their offspring have this weird shadow-touched property. Uh, we have a section here on integrating the encounter. Talks about where you can put it, you know, it might be, and, and for first level, it's a little different because you could pretty much just run this and that's probably worthy of going from first to second level. So this one can work just as a go out, fight the cockatrice, come back and you're level two. Um, it could be, however, some, it could be an encounter that they run on the way if they're, if they're hanging in the area. It could be both like right at a cave entrance near an overland town, or it could be deep underground, wherever you want to put it. 
we have the section on what the area looks like as you approach it. What, you know, what, how would you get there? Uh, and then we have like, uh, you know, this, this is pretty typical to features that you would find in a, in a larger adventure, but what are the general features of the lair? Uh, in this one, we have sort of a specialized monster, the, the cockatrice hatchling, which is a fun one. So the cockatrice hatch, hatchling is essentially a lizard with a few different modifications. Uh, it has, uh, you know, slightly higher challenge rating. Uh, its base stats change a little bit, has one hit point. Uh, it can't, it doesn't have object permanence. So if you can like run behind a pillar, it doesn't think you exist anymore. And it kind of loses track of you, uh, and has one attack and the attack is plus zero to hit and does one piercing damage. You have to make a DC eight constitution saving throw or become magically petrified. Um, and you, you are only petrified, however, for one minute. So the little baby cockatrices can't really keep you petrified for very long. It's just enough to have like a fun little annoying thing. And there's a few of them that are in here. Uh, we have the entrance to the cave itself. Uh, here is uh, a, a, a nice map of the area. Again, a lot of our layers, so all of the maps are going to be either like a, a third of a page vertical or a third of a page horizontal, depending on the orientation of the map and the orientation of the area. And a lot of them are very similar to this. They're going to have about three to four chambers and with usually one big central chamber. So that's kind of how boss fights are in general. Not everything fits this model. Not all of the not all of the layers uh, fit this model perfectly, but they do. Um, uh, they they do fit this uh, style uh, in, in in different ways. There's usually multiple ways into a layer. There's usually a couple of ways to get to the central area. So you see that there's like a secret passage that goes to the north to C2. There's some fun little stuff in C2. Underground river to C3. C3 is one of the two hatching areas for the for the baby cockatrices, and then C5 is the main one. So you know you have multiple ways that you could kind of get into this into this chamber. In fact, I think there's three different ways to get into the central chamber. That way there's some options, you know, choices for the characters to make as they, as they go through. All of the maps, uh, and we should probably do it for the preview. It occurs to me that we didn't, but um, I think uh, I'll have to remember to do that. Uh, we're going to offer VTT-capable versions of all of the maps. So when you get, uh, when you get the preview, um, you uh, at least on drive-thru, I certainly can add the map. I'll probably add a link to the map as well uh, so that you can download a VTT-capable version of the map and drop it right in, and that way you can, you can run it easily. Uh, so yeah, then the area, the main area again is at C, C5 and C5 is where we have, uh, what the kinds of things that you would expect. So you can see like C3 is like one paragraph. C4 is only a couple paragraphs, but C5 is like a page and a half. Right. And that's because that's the main chamber. So it's got some read aloud text. Uh, it talks about how you could approach it. Uh, it talks about how the cockatrices act and what and some of the differences. The, what what makes a cockatrice a fate touched cockatrice? And in this example, it has uh, a stealth. It can misty step as a bonus action. Uh, it hides. So um, yeah, it's got it's got some differences from a just a straightforward standard cockatrice. So that kind of makes the cockatrice a fun first level uh, boss. The other cool thing is that a cockatrice, when it paralyzes you or when it petrifies you, it isn't permanent. So there's a good opportunity to avoid a TPK, a first level TPK here, because you could be petrified and then some of you could wake up, right? And you could wake up later and the cockatrice isn't paying attention to you and there's an opportunity to sort of get out, out of it. So that works. There are statues that can be tipped over. Uh, the gate has some weird stuff going on, like, like sparky bits. When you get near the gate, you get zapped. Um, 
yeah, the Fey Gate up here. If you get within 15 feet of it, you take three points of lightning damage. And that's any creature that includes the cockatrice. So if you can shove the cockatrice close to the gate, the gate will spark the cockatrice. Uh, one thing that we're going to do in each of these is we have um, little breakout boxes. So Mike's thoughts, be nice at first level, where I talk about, you know, first level like is way more dangerous than any other level. Be careful. We can be meaner at higher levels. Um, the interesting thing is, so, so because this is a product of three of us, right? This is a partnership between James Intercasso, Scott Gray, and myself, is we have differing opinions sometimes. And James has thoughts about how, making sure to let the dice decide and that uh, it's one of the things for, for new players playing D&D is to recognize the danger that exists inside D&D. So he, has a, he, he talks about that here. And then Scott, Scott Gray is sort of the mediator between the, between the two ideas. So he has a breakup box. So you'll see these. I don't know if every one of them will have them, but certainly many of them, as we are designing these boss fights, we're also dropping in uh, the designer's thoughts about that went into this boss fight, but that you can take to other boss fights as well. So there's all, you know, we're, we're, you know, I like to say we're teaching how to fish here, that instead of just offering a bunch of boss fights, we are also offering up uh, advice for how to make good boss, boss fights. Uh, Giblix says, is there a tactical breakdown? That is really the tactical breakdown. Uh, so it's, there isn't like a round by round tactical breakdown. Um, but there is uh, a good discussion of monster tactics right here, uh, that describe, uh, how they act, what they do and in, in different situations. These are, um, uh, there, this is uh, story based, um, you know, the, they're, they're story based things. So, um, you will, uh, it's, it's mostly based on like what situations occur that change up the, the, the change up the scenario. So it depends on what you mean by a tactical breakdown. It's not the same kind of tactical breakdown that you might've seen in the big two page spreads of fourth edition or third edition. We talked a lot about that, but we also talk about like D and D fifth editions design philosophy, and we don't want to stray too far from that. So we're not, it's not a whole retake on that. However, there is a lot of influence from books like um, uh, the Dungeon Delve, fourth edition's Dungeon Delve, uh, and those sort of those those two page spreads. Those are both, um, you know, those are both things that we're considering when we look at this. Uh, thinking about Monster Knows website, Natara. Yes. So, uh, in 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 fact, we are hoping to bring um, Keith Amon as an advisor on this book to help look at some of the tactics we're doing here and make sure that makes sense. So uh, it's not the full two to three paragraph in all circumstances. No, no, this is not, this is not small. This is about three paragraphs. So uh, it depends. And some of them are, you know, the ones that have a greater tactical view certainly have more of it. I think the other one might. Uh, so then another little piece here is like, who are these? There are these statues that are all throughout the area that have been petrified. They can, uh, because they pet- petrification here isn't permanent, it's permanent if, if somebody was killed during it, but it's not permanent if um, they were if they're not broken apart. So some of them come back, and then we have opportunities for NPC interaction here, including one major NPC who is an elf that's been stuck here for a long, long time, continually repetrified. Um, so then we have a couple of you know, three other big sections. We have an encounter difficulty, which talks about how to. This is a little bit from. Um, yeah, so it's something that they do as well for the, the boss encounters. Yeah, and that's something we're doing here. So uh, encounter difficulty is how do you tweak this, right? How do you, every group that comes into a boss battle is going to be different than every other group. You can't just base it on challenge rating and hope it all works out. So one of the things we, d- we definitely do here is offer variables that a DM can tweak to tune it around the characters that they have. If you have fewer players or more players, if they're lower or higher level. And then one of the things we do, and, and a few of our encounters are going to include this, is ways to 
expanded for for very different tiers. So this one, for example, you can you can replace the cockatrice with basilisk, medusas, or gorgons, and that shifts the whole uh, level range up. You know, maybe even two tiers. Right? You could almost get to a tier three encounter if you filled it with gorgons and basilisks and you know things like that. So um, you know, a medusa native to the Feywild with her pet basilisks could definitely be a very solid tier two encounter, thus taking this first level encounter and turning it into like a, you know, seven level seven or eight encounter um, with just, you know, just a little bit of, of tweaking and reskinning. So we don't like play test it using that stuff, but it's definitely something that we, we consider when we're looking at the layers is how can you, how can you shift the level range of these layers significantly? Uh, and then we have treasure. This one has a really, um, I think I'd let my players recover cockatrice. Yeah, some of the some of the cockatrices are not inherently hostile. So um, yeah, I don't think that, that, I think that would actually be pretty cool uh, is getting a pet cockatrice from this. Uh, so treasure in this circumstance, we actually have a weapon uh, that upgrades as you upgrade. We thought this is kind of a fun one to get at level one, where as you attune to it and as your character level increases, the power of the weapon you get increases as well. So at first, it's a magical scimitar that's able to cast Gust of Wind. Uh, when it hits fifth level, it becomes a plus one scimitar who can cast Invisibility and Gust of Wind. Uh, if it's a, if, when they hit 10th level, it's a plus two scimitar who can cast Ice Storm, Invisibility, and Gust of Wind. And at 15th level, it becomes a plus three scimitar who can take a minute to cast Windwalk. So it's this air-focused sort of elementalish blade that increases in power the higher level you get. Uh, and then we have an ex- a whole section on expanding the encounter. And expanding the encounter gets into um, how you can uh, take the stories that exist in this encounter and expand them into other adventures. So each of them kind of have that one. The second layer is called Ash Ash Snarl's Secrets. Uh, And this is about a very angry, um, uh, a a very angry uh, uh, half dragon who has built a mechanical dragon tank and is uh, rolling it towards a town. So again, kind of all the, the, the base background on it, uh, integrating the encounter, how do you fit it in, which is really like cities coming under attack. And, and at first you don't even know it's a, dra- you know, like it's a tank. You think like maybe this is just like a big dragon that's attacking and that's a problem. Um, and it talks about that it's a big red dragon shooting flames from its mouth and nostrils as it crawls straightly towards and like, what do you do? And you figure out, oh, wait a minute, it's mechanical and you get inside. So there's lots of ways to discover the truth. There's lots of uh, features that it has. This one is sort of like the walking boss battle, right? Instead of you going to a cave with a throne and there's a big monster on a throne, this whole thing is coming towards you. That's something else that we're paying careful attention to is not every, not every boss fight is a boss sitting on a throne waiting for something to happen. Um, you get into the thing itself here again is another map. Uh, you can see how this, this map is using the vertical, the vertical, uh, language. It's a machine from as Avernus described as a red dragon hide. Yes. Um, all kinds of features here. Uh, then we also have this, uh, these fire smelter kobolds again, sort of like the, um, sort of like the baby cockatrices. Uh, we have, um, sort of like the baby cockatrices. We have modified actual lizard folk to make them slightly tougher, uh, kobolds, like kobolds with 22 hit points and higher intelligence. Uh, and they're climbing all over the place, uh, to, to, um, uh, uh, you know, to operate this big machine under the, the orders of their, um, uh, under the orders of their, of their boss, uh, Ash, uh, uh not Ash Snarl. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Everflame. Therandra Everflame. 
So, um, yeah, you can climb all through it. You can get up to the main controls. There's lots of, this is another one that's got like lots of gears and there's guardian, the fire smelter guardians, heated coils, lots of ways to like get caught in the machinery and chopped up or hurl your victims into the machinery and get chopped up. Uh, and then, uh, Ash Snarl herself, or sorry, uh, uh, Everflame herself has the amulet that drives it. And here, uh, you can see, so I think in the head is where most of the tactics are kind of wrapped up under the control panels, uh, pendulums, the kobolds and how they operate, uh, Everflame and what she does, uh, different reactions depending on the situation. Uh, she has the statistics of a night. This, by the way, is a fifth level, uh, a fifth level encounter. So it's definitely harder than the other one. It's not first and second level. It's a big jump. Uh, she has a fire breath, of course. And then if she dies, what happens to the machine and could it explode? Cause you could have a giant machine that explodes. So definitely a whole fun, big encounter that's kind of going through. Um, it's got an encounter difficulty as well. You can increase her to a an, an, uh, gladiator or assassin. Uh, you can also make, uh, if you want to lower her difficulty, uh, you can turn her into a bandit captain, berserker, or thug that drops her challenge rating. Um, there are mechanical dogs, all kinds of stuff. Then treasure. She has treasure that's in there, uh, including a flame tongue greatsword. So that's a nice, nice, you know, nice, good tier two piece of treasure. Uh, and then you could have the devices treasure. Like, can they ride around in their big flamey tank if they manage to uh, keep it and not get it destroyed? Um, and then again, a whole section on, uh, expanding the encounter. So then we also are offering up one of the, uh, extra chapters in the book, which is how do you build this, right? Like when, how do you, what are, what are some of the, the strategies required to actually build a boss encounter and building layers that are similar to the ones that you find in fantastic layers. So we talk a lot about this. We talk about the idea of multiple bosses as a, as a, as a technique for, for keeping your boss from getting nuked, what kind of creature you have, how you can make modifications to those creatures to make them more boss-like, how to make your boss unique you know, picking the plots, um, you know, what, are, what motivates them building the layer itself. So this is a nice three page guide for building, uh, fantastic layers, uh, as well. We're kind of giving the blueprint away, uh, with the, with the book itself. So all of that is available. Uh, again, I think, I think this is click to the Kickstarter. Uh, this does, where's it go? So, uh, yeah, the, so the Kickstarter is launching tomorrow again in, in 24 and a half hours. Uh, it will be going throughout the month of June, and uh, you will get the link for this preview. Oops, not that preview. Back to this one. You get the link to this preview uh, in the in the Kickstarter itself. And uh, yeah, so we're hoping uh, we're hoping people dig it. And we're still obviously working on the book itself, but we've been doing a lot of these. We've written up, I think, about twelve of the layers now. So uh, and we've we've already taken cuts and play tested about half about half of those. So uh, can someone share the link to the Kickstarter? Sure. So the Kickstarter isn't live yet, but you can be notified when it is by going to this page. So let me paste that into Discord chat and I will paste it into the notes as well. Uh, so yeah, so that's going on. Uh, what else do we have going on? Uh, so let's talk about my game. Let's jump over to, thank you all. If you weren't interested in Fantastic Claire, sorry for spending 25 minutes on it, but. It's the main thing I'm working on these days. So uh, last session in my Eberron game, the characters went to... um, Yay, thank you, followed. Um, The characters went to the cog, the hub, uh, the cog hub, which is down in the cogs uh, and sat between uh, old Sharn and um, the area that the Dask operate and the, the, the cogs. So it was definitely, um, 
really interesting, re- really interesting scenario. This is one where they were going down there during the Great Hunt, during a, a big event where monsters are let free in the sewers, and uh, adventurers go down there. So they. Uh, saw some other adventurers who got their asses kicked by a gorgon, and then they themselves went into the main chamber and they saw a cow that is um, uh, they saw a cow that's just hanging out or bull and it's sitting there, it's painted silver and it's just eating some stuff. And it looks at them and they look at it and they're like, what's going on here? And the cow's just watching them and they're like, is that the Gorgon? Like they already saw like these people that are getting ripped apart. They look and people are like stuck up on walls and there's blood all over the place. And they're like, oh, you know, they said like petrified people, like two people that are petrified and like, is that, you know, and they're real nervous and they're wandering around. And then good for my players. I really need to thank my players for being being willing to put themselves in risky positions and getting screwed by it. Uh, but still going back and doing it again because it makes for f- really fun stories. So it's it's nice to have players who are willing to do that. And I had a couple of players that moved around, and I, I decided to randomly select which, which direction the Gorgon came from. So the, the silver-painted bull was a ruse, and there's an actual Gorgon, a giant iron bull that breathes, uh, uh, breathes a, a cloud of petrifying gas. Uh, and can trample and impale people. And I had it randomly come in from one side, and it hit uh, Shane Husk. And he, I think he dodged out of the way. He barely got hit. Uh, and then they're, they're, everyone else started fighting that thing. And meanwhile, um, Cavella, the head of the desk, kind of, you know, one of her guys comes out. It's like, oh, more people are coming. Quick, Cavella, you're going to want to see this. And then Cavella comes out, and they, they all are kind of like watching the party fighting the Gorgon. And then the Gorgon critically hit one of the characters and flung him, did like 43 damage or something, knocked him right out. He was full hit points to zero in one shot. And we, we, we described that the, that the Gorgon impaled him on a horn and then flicked him up and then impaled him on rebar that was hanging from the ceiling. And he was stuck to the ceiling. He's like, ah. And then he kind of like falls back down and so then he rolled a 20 on his death save and we said like he actually pried himself off the ceiling landed on the ground in like a three-point land and then gets up and then casts a spell and he actually killed the gorgon and it was this huge monumental fight everyone's just laughing and screaming and having a great time and it was a really fun really fun battle against that gorgon and um then they met with cavella who then revealed a whole bunch of information to them about uh leto skull and the fact that leto skull is her brother and that um, they, you know, what, what he's trying to do and how he was part of the desk, but then broke away from the desk. And no one really knows who he's serving now and that he's doing these dangerous things. So lots of really interesting lore that came up. And then the group left the, they, they made an agreement with Cavella. They, um, let, they have a little safe house now that's down there that they can get to if they ever want a, another, another little safe house. Um, and at Pond Scum or something like that is the name of their safe house. It's like a, a little art bar and inn that's run by Dask, Dask people. But they can go down there and that's their little safe house. But they know it's bugged by, you know, it's tremendously bugged. Um, so they always have to think like, well, never say anything bad about the Dask while we're down there. Um, but it's a good way to feed information to the Dask. So they then went back to their bar and said, where are we going next? And they chose to go to Morgrave University. So today's adventure is going to be them figuring out Morgrave how to get into Morgrave's Uni- Morgrave University. And the goal to, in going to Morgrave University is to acquire the, uh, the, the Tome of Colseer. 
the Tome of Kol Seer is a powerful book of dark magic that was held by the giants of Zendrek 30,000 years ago and recorded over time in scrolls and tablets and everything. And then the, that material was sort of transferred into this tome. And the tome is kept in an area called uh, Tower 6, uh, the, 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 the Forbidden Vaults of Tower 6 in Morgrave University. And the characters have to figure out how do we get down there and how do we get this book. And uh, I'm at an advantage because uh, my other group just finished Morgrave. They spent their last two sections going through Morgrave University. I think that this is one of those situations where the player, the, because the players made different choices, the approaches that the two groups took to get in there and get out are going to be different. And I, and I like that. So I like that there are variables in the world that are changing between the two groups, very similar to the way my, my Ghost of Saltmarsh game went, where one group let... Uh, a vampire out of a vault and the vampire started to not exactly take over salt marsh but certainly i don't know probably took over parts of salt marsh and uh the group was constantly working with that and that was a totally different plot line than the other group who was dealing a lot with the scarlet brotherhood the other one pretty much dismantled the scarlet brotherhood very quickly so um it's interesting to watch the actions of the players the actions of the characters the decisions of the players alter the world as it's going on some parts don't change tower six is still the same the tome is still in tower six you still have to get in there to get it but the approach that they could take could be very different because in another one they met an ambassador from tower six who could help them get in and they they already like scheduled meetings and stuff and they conducted those meetings um this group uh will probably have a whole different way to approach tower six so that that's something that we're going to talk about today so as we do uh, with our steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, we start with um, who are the characters? So uh, so the characters uh, we start with are... Uh, Dor- um, so we have a group patron uh, for our group here. The group patron is uh, House Therask. Uh, Doris House Therask is... Or Doris, Doris de Therask is the, their direct patron. Uh, Arwen Chi Zizu is a um, scribing gnome artificer. Her father was a famous hero. She has a dodecahedron, and she is now aware that the dodecahedron around her neck is being sought after by numerous groups, and that it probably has somehow has the location of um, the Claw Rift, which is a an area inside um, the Mornland where the morning took place the weapon that built the morning took place and it seems to be the place that uh these various factions are trying to get to um so one thing i did in my last game was uh and i've started doing this with with numerous games and i kind of i kind of dig it which is uh a a concept called stars and wishes I, i don't remember what game this comes from it comes from an independent rpg but i don't know which one and the idea is at the end of the game, um, and you don't have to do this for every session. I don't know if I'll do it for every session, but I might do it for like every three or four sessions. Uh, you ask each player, what is one, you know, star, what is the star of the game? What was the one thing you really enjoyed in this game? Something that another player did, something that you did, something that happened in the story itself, something that you dug. And then what is one wish you have? What is something that you wish happens in a future game? That could be something cool for you. That could be something for... Um, uh, it could be something that you want to see in general. It could be a character arc that you that you dig. Um, yeah, not being impaled is a good start. It's very funny how everyone loved the Gorgon fight, except for one, you know, except for one person. So, uh, you know, what's a wish? What's a wish for a future game? So I asked each of my players this. It worked very well. I got good feedback from it. And, you know, so the star was, we loved the battle with the Gorgon. Everyone seemed to really enjoy that. Um, and uh, so this was this was Cheese, uh, Jerry's, Jerry's stars and wishes. Uh, and once... 
you know, wants to, wants to see like a one-on-one battle between Leto and Cavella. Likes the idea that there's these two sort of rival siblings. One is the head of the Dask inside Sharn. The other one is sort of now a broken away and is an independent agent. Like, how is that going to play out? Seems to be something that they're interested in. So that'd be fun. Um, we have Shift, uh, played by Juliet, Warforged Warlock, Pact of the Undying, Human Experiment. Uh, her uh, um, uh, Snark Knight says, are they both Oni? Yes, they're both Oni. They both appear to be um, gnomes, but they're not. They're both Oni, secretly. Um, so uh, Juliet uh, was not at our game last week, so I don't have stars and wishes for her. But uh, she is uh, she, she is a one of the first Warforged that was built from a mixture of um, technology from House Dikaneth or from House Kaneth, but also has um, necromatic magic from the Karnath, from the nation of the Karnath. Um, and I, I have some cool bits here that I want to do, including the fact that Lord Crash is Shift's brother who went wrong. Uh, Lord Crash is a member of the Emerald Claw that is probably, I think, is now a, uh, a like sort of a half-undead warforged um, and may have to face the Amara one day. One other thing I did is I put little adventure options. These are little seeds that I have based on knowing the background of the character. What are some adventures that we could have in the future? Or how can I kind of tie that in? Not all these have to happen, but just thoughts about where we could go. Uh, Saber is played by Brian, a sh- long-tooth shifter monk and bounty hunter. Uh, was called to the Temple of Balinor and Fallen. Uh, they went through that and then became uh, joined the Order of the Four Winds, a group of shifter monks out of the Eldine Reaches. Uh, adventure option is potential uh, that the Monk Order wants him to fulfill part of the Draconic Prophecy. Uh, his star was that he was happy not to be impaled by a, on, on um, Rebar uh, by getting critically hit. Uh, and he likes working. His future wish is more, more work, more, more things going on with the Temple of the Four Winds. So those are definitely some hooks I can drop in place. Uh, Shane Husk is played by Jay. This is a hobgoblin wizard crime novelist, uh, and he uh, wrote books and, um, you know, kind of schlocky books about the last war. And so he's pretty well known and popular and is retiring and is now trying to find his next big story. Uh, So some potential adventure options that he has clues in the books to help find the claw rift. Um, that there's a great novel that exists in Old Sharn, if only he can get there. Um, This was like a nice hook that we had. Uh, the Orem, uh, he's joined the Orem now. So the Orem tells him about the staff once held by his ancestors in Ultron. That was an idea I dropped in last time, but I don't know if I want to like pivot the whole campaign over to this you know, exploration of Old Sharn. So I'm not sure if I'm going to use that one. I might, I might yank that one. Um, his star, he was the one that got impaled and he was like, you know, not getting impaled is a good thing, but he really liked, um, you know, he did, he's digging the whole conspiracy. He likes that. He really liked the idea of the, the collaborative storytelling, that, that more of the things that are involving the characters are changing and shifting the, the direction of the story. And he definitely wants more of that. That was his, that was his big wish. Uh, Joe, uh, Banner, played by Joe, is a Warforged paladin, the Becoming God. Um, he is now, uh, an acolyte of the becoming God. He met other, um, uh, met other, uh, um, met other members of this new, of this new sort of God. Uh, and you know, some other options are that meeting the God forge in the morning might be really cool. Getting involved with the God forge and the Lord of blades could be a fun hook. Uh, what are stars? Um, so I'll, I'll give me one second. I'll mention them again. Stars are something that you ask for uh, after a session. You say, what is something that you really enjoyed from this session? What is a star from this session? So either something another player did, something that you did and really enjoyed for your character or something that happened in the story. What's something that you really liked? 
Uh, and then a wish is like, what would you like to see in the future? So this is something you can ask like every two to four sessions, I think is probably about right. Um, yeah, it's a focused way of asking for feedback, right? So instead of just saying like, what'd you think of today's game? You're, you're asking for something relatively specific. And, and that was a difference, kind of defining it that way. I've asked players for actually the same kind of things. What did you like in today's game? What's something you want to see more of? I don't really get great answers, but when I use this, I did. So I, I don't know. There's something about defining it as a star and a wish that really helped. Um, so Joe loved the Gorgon fight and loved the imagery and thought Shane was awesome. And that particularly that, uh, Jay who runs, uh, Sean, uh, Shane Husk really went with the punch as well. Like he really, he didn't get upset that he was getting any, he went from like the worst situation of getting one shotted to the best situation of like rolling a 20 on a, on a death save, getting, you know, getting, getting his hit points back and then dropping down and then hitting it and killing the Gorgon. So he really it had a lot of nice swing in there. Uh, he likes having, uh, so Joe said he really likes having lots of choices in the direction that things are going. Uh, Zarentir, played by Pat, is a Tempest Storm Cleric. Uh, he recently uh, stole the keys to his father's airship. So that is a possibility. Uh, the Goldbright is the name of the airship. So I think stealing the Goldbright, it, it might definitely be a fun thing to go. He liked the Gorgon fight, but he felt bad for Shane. Um, he likes complex decisions with minimal information. Um, he wants to see that. He said like that's, you know, the, the difficulty they have is like last time. So Juliet keeps most of the notes. And when she wasn't there, like nobody knew what the hell was going on. So it was like, how do we make big choices when we have, you know, with, with very little uh, amount of information that's coming back. So how to, how to deal with that was one of the things that he wanted. So those are the characters. Those are the things that they like in the game. It's a lot. Like I got six players, so there's a lot kind of going on. I always think it helps to kind of go through it, though, and really see where we're going. Uh, so today's strong start, I was thinking about it earlier, and I think a good strong start for today. So their goal is to get into Morgrave University. So we can start with a goal, right? This is like, what's the hook? Uh, get into the forbidden section of Tower 6 and um, uh, recover... The Tome of Call, sir. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's the main goal uh, for it. And then, so what can happen in the strong start? And I think what we're going to have is that, um, I'm looking through my NPCs here, Triss who is an ambassador, Triss, ambassador of the Dask. Hang on a sec, I got a call. I got something in my throat. <clears throat> Triss, ambassador of the Dask, uh, brings them a key, a brooch. And the brooch is a um, the symbol of uh, Morgrave University in platinum. And it has a drop up. It has a little bit of blood on it. Not Triss Marigold. Not Mixing Worlds. Um, and she says, uh, this is one of four key. Man, I got something in my throat again. right in the back of my throat no it's not covid um so uh it's one of four keys that can get into the vaults 
Uh, it won't be missed for a day. But how they came, how she came about it, she's not really going to say. And um, so this helps them get past some of the worst protections. And it also kind of ties into the fact that like they took the time of meeting with the desk and now the desk is offering things up to them. Like when you ally with the desk, you get some advantages. And one of the advantages, you don't have to figure out how to break into the vault yourself. You already have the key. You have to get to the vault and you have to get through the vault, but that's, you know, someone else. So I think that that would be kind of a fun, strong start. She comes in again, smiles. Uh, you know, she's got these uh, two invisible stalkers that follow her around, ready to kick ass, you know, as she gets through the city, her bodyguards. Um, <clears throat> and she drops off um, this key. Uh, I do wonder if Triss and, and Cavella are actually the same person because Triss was not at the meeting and Cavella was. So I don't know. I might, you know, and being an Oni, she can shift into anything else. So who, who could say? So I think that that will be a fine, strong start. Uh, the big questions are, so they get the key. Uh, they decide on their approach. Uh, they get into the vaults. Now, um, in my other game, I don't know if I have to decide this quite yet. And it, I probably won't do this because I think they've already had enough Emerald Claw going on. My other group uh, hadn't dealt a lot with the Emerald Claw. And I was stuck for a strong start for my Wednesday game. So I had an airship, a, an Emerald Claw hijacked airship crashed into Morgrave University and ghouls spilled out of it. And it, it meant that the, the vault, the way there, it suddenly gave the characters a way to get into the vault, but they also now had to deal with Emerald Claw ghoul spies who were trying to break in and take the book themselves. They managed to get through the spies, but then they found out that uh, Flame Touched uh, Valentine Flame Touched, who is the right hand of Leto's skull, was there with a bunch of jackal wares to also break into the vault and steal the book. Uh, I may have it uh, because my my other group has already dealt with the Emerald Claw a lot. I may pull the Emerald Claw out and instead um, maybe the Emerald Claw will try to get it afterwards. And instead, but I think having Valentine flame touched, who's a Lamia, uh, and her Jackalwares, are breaking into the vault as well. So there's like two different angles of getting into the vault, right? And and there's a whole other group that you have to face. So there's all the defenses that the vault has in play as well as uh, Valentine flame touched and her jackalware is breaking into the vault. So I think that that will be sort of enough of a, 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 a you know, a, a perpendicular angle into the story to sort of make the whole situation very dynamic and interesting. Uh, this group has not met or seen Valentine flame touched before. So I don't, I think she will be in human form. It's one of these things where like every villain isn't anything like what they look like. Um, so traversing the, you know, finding the book of the, finding the book of Colseer is really the main, you know, that's the main crux of it. And then getting out, right? Uh, and I'll probably have like the Emerald Claw 
the Emerald Claw is probably going to try to get the book from the party as they try to make their way out. I think that that would be, you know, that would be an, an approach that they might take because we kind of want the Emerald. We, they they haven't dealt with the Emerald Claw recently at this point, so Emerald Claw coming in. So this is one where you like you have your different fronts, right? And the different fronts are Droam and the Dask, Emerald Claw, Leto Skull and his group. Um, and I guess those are the three, right? I don't really have another group. There's like some other tertiary groups that may come in later, you know. As we recycle the fronts, like as fronts get kicked out, you'll bring in new fronts and we'll see kind of how that goes. Uh, one of the other fronts might be the King's Dark Lanterns that, um, you know, the Kingdom of Breland thinks that they should have all this power, not anyone else. So that could be kind of fun. Uh, so I wrote down some adventure options here, but we know where they're going. And um, we know that they're going to the Tower 6 of Morgrave University. But then there's like, what are the adventure options after that? Um, and right now it's really just get rid of the Emerald Claw after that. Um, although I might try to say like, what are a couple of other you know quests that open up uh, once they have the Book of Kulsir? That I'm not sure about. So uh, now we come to uh, what I think is always... I, I, I really do believe that it's kind of the most important um, aspect of uh, game prep, which are the secrets and clues. Like what are the secrets and clues that uh, the characters can discover in the next game? So one of them is Morgrave. It's heavily funded by Expeditions to Zendrak. Um, Tower 6 contains many powerful and dangerous artifacts. Um, what else? Uh, Alito Skull uh, funded many of the expeditions. Uh, and he actually financed uh, building finance the building of tower six. Um, Lido, Lido Skull's right hand is a Lamia known as Valentine flame touched. Um, but then there's another one, uh, flame touched and Flame Wind both come from Zendrek. Uh, so who's Flame Wind? Uh, Flame Wind is a, uh, a Gynosphinx. Um, a Gynosphinx that uh, researcher, a Gynosphinx researcher at Morgrave. Um, Flame Wind sounds like a great burrito place. Yeah, very nice. Um, and uh, Cursed uh, rescued by Lido. Uh, probably 10 years ago. Um, brother of the cursed. Um, 
So when we left off, we were looking at secrets and clues, and I still have one, two, three, four, five secrets and clues remaining. So yeah, Flame Touch and Flame Wind, right? So Flame Wind is actually in uh, Eberron. This is a real, a real thing. Uh, Morgrave University, if you go to here, there is a... Flamewind, a Gynos Sphinx with uh, oracular powers, uh, came to Morgrave University with a Zendrak expedition two years ago and took up residence there. So maybe it was two years ago. Um, that's a nice little secret. Uh, and uh, let's see, I said 10 somewhere in here. And I meant to, yeah, we're going to go with two. So that would make sense, right? And maybe Flamewind and Flame Touch both came back from the same expedition and were brought here, but Flame Touched, who is a cursed Lamia, she's like a, a, a evoker Lamia mage. Um, you know, she is, she's kind of, you know, she's following Leto Skull directly where Flame Wind uh, went off to um, study uh, what's been going on. Um, So that can be interesting. So what sort of, oh, um, there's a Dreaming Dark uh, orb exists, um, is being held in tower, in the vaults of tower six. Uh, I want to add a little bit of Dreaming Dark stuff in here. I think that that could be fun and that... Um, Lido Skull has some kind of connection to the Dreaming Dark and to uh, Dalcor and the Quarry. Boy, I'm learning a lot of Eberron lore running this campaign, I'll tell you. And it's all good. Um, what other secrets? Uh, uh, Flamewind has a band of um, Jackalwares. Uh, the, the yellow fangs. That's so that's so cliche. Um, yellow claw. Ugh. I need a cool jack aware name. Fun, you know, fun jack aware gang signs. Um. Probably not flames. We'll go with the yellow, yellow teeth. The yellow teeths. Um, the howlers, yellow howl howlers. Yeah, we'll go with the howlers. That's that's a good one. Thank you, John. Four. We'll go with that. Uh, so she has a band of jackalwares. No, the howlers that act as her spies and. on behalf of Lido Skull. Um, what else do we have? Uh, other secrets, things that they would discover down in Zendrek or down in Morgrave University. Uh, that's important. Uh, Lido, I already had that Lido financed the expedition and financed the construction of Tower 6. 
Uh, Lido wants to steal the tome, but doesn't want anyone to know it was him. Uh, I don't really know why, but I think that that's kind of neat. He's, he's stealing from his own vault, right? He's breaking into his own vault and taking his own book that he already owned, right? Uh, why? And is it to, is he sort of, you know, he doesn't want anybody to know he's got it. There's some other angle, maybe with the Orem, right? The Orem can't know what he's doing. That could be an interesting angle. That could be kind of cool. Uh, I left secrets from last week. I think I'm just going to dump those. Uh, these are all secrets that the characters learned in the last session. That Calvera wears the eye of the daughters of Sorakal of the Droam. One of the daughters is blind but a seer. Lido Skull is a member of the Dask. He's Cavella's brother. Lido Skull has gone his own way. The daughters are worried he's threatening their leadership. Lido Skull wants a weapon of terrible power. He needs the Eberron Shard from Zendrek. He needs the magic to harness power. He needs the location of Claw Rift. Uh, he was bankrolled by the daughters but became a gold ring member of the arm then broke contact with the Droam. The Knolls acted on their own. Emerald Claw is trying to capture the crystal and use it to destroy Sharn. They're operating out of the City of the Dead in the old tomb of House Keneth. Cavell and the daughters want the Book of Colsir. So does Leto. Uh, ancient Takani goblin ruins exist beneath old Sharn. They predate even Galifar. Galifar agents tried to investigate the ruins and failed. They have since sealed it up. Those are secrets from last week. But we're not going to worry about those. So now we just got some secrets from this one. So then we have what the Morgrave University. I have two maps that I'm using from um, Dyson Logos, of course, my favorite source of maps. Uh, library itself, which has multiple levels to it. Um, what does that say? Uh, the map of the basement and sub-basement levels of the Great Library of, of the Violet City. So these are, I think these are cool maps of what Tower 6 uh, looks like, right? I think, I think that these work well. Um, there's some offices and seating areas, you know, there's, there's places to go. So this is tower six overall. And then the vaults of tower six, um, are, uh, we're here beneath the great library. So then this is like some of the vaults. So these, these might be some of the lower offices. And I think it's this stairwell on the far left-hand side that leads down into these vaults. And this is where everything else exists. Uh, and there's secret entrances into this one as well. And I think it's through one of these secret entrances that uh, Cavella and her, not Cavella, um, that, that Valentine and her jackal wares are using. Um, this secret vault on the lower left, uh, Snark Knight said, I just used this map for a candle key pipe. Yeah, right? Dyson, man. Um, versatile maps. So, um, I think the orb is going to be kept in this room here. And I think the jackal wears will have already done it. This is something I, I did before. Um, and uh, these other vaults all contain a variety of different things. So I can, I can sort of fill out, uh, fill that out. In fact, I have some of that for my Wednesday game. So I'll probably steal that. Let's see. I'll open up my Wednesday notes. If I can find them in here. 27 May, Eberron. So... Um, uh, things to find in the forbidden vaults of Morgrave University. We're going to grab this and we're going to paste it into my Eberron one under Fantastic Adventures. We'll put them right there. So here are, I wrote, this is a, a you, you want a, a dirty Sly Flourish trick. 
Um, one of the dirty slide flourish tricks is when you're, when you're kind of hurting for inspiration, when you're trying to figure out like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where to go or things are get complicated. I like to make lists of 10 things and, and you can just make a list of like 10, 10, anything. So in this case, it was like 10 things to find in the forbidden vaults of Margrave university. And I'd like to just rip these out. And it, it, it kind of fits with the 10 secrets and clues as like a, as like a mental exercise. It kind of pushes your brain to do a lot of things quickly. And then you can sort of throw out the bad ones and pick the ones that you really like. Um, Bloodied Spear of the Volcari Drow was one. Black Orb of the Quarry, I think I mentioned. The Stone Tablet, Binding the Elves to the Service of, of Kulsir is another. Glyphed Ring, the size of a belt, still humming with power. Crown Skull of a Sulatar Drow White. The Journal of, uh, of uh, Macron Nightwalker, a sage who spent years with the Drow of Zendrek and recorded their folklore. A suit of chitin scale armor of the Volkori Drow. Um, a tree uh, blooming, a tree of blooming black flowers that only grows underground. A half-broken arch that once allowed passage to Dalcor. A floating star map of the Sibrius crystal ring. Uh, an Umbragan shadow assassin's dagger. That's magical and inflicts necrotic damage instead of normal damage. So these are all like kind of weird things that they might find in the vaults. And I like to just have those on hand. I don't know if they will find them. I don't know which room they'll find them in necessarily. I can sort of play around with it. Um, But I think that uh, that kind of stuff can work. Uh, There was a piece of treasure I wanted to drop in. Um, oh, I forgot. Yeah. One, one thing I forgot to mention is like when they get into the vault itself, and this is stuff that I use in my other games. So it's kind of why I'm not prepping it now. Um, there is a, uh, a stone golem that is guarding it. But if you have, if you show it the amulet, uh, the stone golem will not attack. It treats you as, oh, you're, you're supposed to be here, but the stone golem may attack others. So now the problem is Valentine also has one of these necklaces, so she can avoid the stone golem as well. Um, yeah, so lots of interesting, you know, lots of interesting things that can go on here. Um, yeah. Uh, am I in the right? Yeah, my Ebron 31 May. Uh, so what else, what are some other things? I guess we can make like other, you know, when we go to our, let's see, did we finish, we finished our secrets and clues. Let's talk about fantastic occasion. So we have those things. Uh, we have like a list of things, but we have a stone. Uh, oh, well, let's go to monsters, right? So we have things that they can find inside of here. Uh, we have NPCs, Valentine, Flame Touched, Flame Wind. Um, there's probably, I think there is a, uh, I thought I had somebody that was here um, uh, librarians and stuff. I guess I won't worry too much about uh, NPCs at Morgrave University, other than Flamewind, who I think could be very interesting and might might spill some secrets. Um, but monsters. So the monsters that are in here, there's a few that work really well. So we have a stone golem. Um, that's the protector of the vault, but doesn't react to the necklace. But if they go foul of it, it could be bad. Um, there's an Alep. Um, uh, is an escapee from the orb of the dreaming dark and is now wandering the halls. Uh, we have Jackal Wares. Um, and we have Valentine. Uh, Elamia. Um, 
I'm trying to break away from like animated armors everywhere. I, you already had a bunch of animated armors inside um, Leto Skull's vault. I think it'd be kind of funny if there was animated armors. Uh, we could have a drow white, right? That could form maybe a wraith uh, that forms that has like the crown, you know, the drow crown if it's if it's picked up. Um, Uh, what else? Are there any other, um, maybe it's a Sulatar fire spirit. Yeah. Um, make a secret trap door in the orb chamber leading to the passage below. Yeah. Right. So there, there could be, or maybe it's not a secret. Maybe it breaks through the, the, the floor kind of collapses and there's some tunnels there. Maybe the jackal wears break through. Um, I guess that's okay for monsters. I don't think I need a whole lot, right? Uh, magic items. Uh, a suit of elven chain wouldn't be bad. That might be the the, the elven chain, um, the elven chain armor that was. Uh, I think I said it was like chitin, you know, chitin armor. But it might be a suit of elven chain armor with a Vokori drow. That might be kind of cool. Or the Sulatardra. Um, yeah. So that that could be a magic item uh, worth finding. Uh, the orb, uh, which is a crystal ball. crystal ball, But it only shows what it wants to show. It's got a power in it. Um, I'm reminded of Black 13 from uh, Dark Tower. So I think we're good there. So... Looking at it, all right, so we've gone through the characters. I've got my secrets of clues. I've got a strong start. I've got locations. I've got monsters. I've got NPCs. Uh, so I've got treasure. I think we have hit all of the steps. Uh, and I feel, again, I'm lucky because I've kind of run this area before, so it's a little easier for me to run it than it is normally. One thing that has occurred to me is that it's definitely harder for me to prep these sessions than it is for ones where I have a published adventure. Even if I'm heavily modifying a published adventure, I find it easier to do. And I feel more confident in it because it's still grounded in something that's like written down. And there's, there's something about that. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm not in the majority on this. The majority of people make their own adventures. And, but I, having run now, God, I don't know, a dozen hardcover published adventures, maybe not quite a dozen, but a lot, eight or so. Um, having run so many hardcover published adventures, I can definitely say that I am more comfortable running those than I am, um, uh, I'm more comfortable running those than I am uh, running my own adventures. And that is an interesting and hard thing for me to come to grips with. I think it's important that I'm running my own adventures this time. It gets me out of my comfort zone and I learn a lot. And I think that that's useful as far as, you know, offering thoughts and advice on how to run games, uh, considering that most people do it that way. Uh, but it's been a very interesting experience. And I am, I guess it's next week where we're going to hear what the next major storyline is for D&D. And uh, I'm sure I will be interested in, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be interested in running that. So, um, but I, I don't know when it's coming out. I probably, I don't know, who knows when it's coming out. But I think next week is also Theros. Theros the digital version of uh, Theros is coming out. That'll be interesting. So we'll see. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming today. Thank you all for uh, hanging out for our show. And uh, I will, hopefully uh, everybody is able to stay safe. And um, 
we will uh i will see everybody next week so thank you all have a have a great week uh remember tomorrow 11 a.m is the kickstarter if you want to help support things that are going on with sly flourish uh please back the kickstarter i guarantee you will be getting an awesome book for your support thank you all very much have a great week and i will see you next sunday